Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins a new series entitled Superhero. Superheroes can represent many things for many people. This week, we look at how they serve to save and rescue us. How in your life have you allowed Jesus to come to your rescue? Morning. Bet y'all thought I was coming out in a Superman costume, didn't you? Nope. We are going to fly me in, but we couldn't find a cable that was strong enough to do it, so we just settled for walking out. But, uh, man, we're glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest, man, we are excited you're here, glad you're here uh, with us to worship today. Uh, going to be an awesome day. We've got uh, the, the, the picnic and the egg drop um, coming up after uh, church. It's going to be really, really, really cool. So I hope that you guys will hang around and go eat some hamburgers, hot dogs, um, and watch the helicopter come in. I mean, I'm pumped about that. Um, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have uh, somebody dressed up in an Easter bunny costume parachuting out. Not really, but that'd be cool if we could do that. Um, maybe next year. But it's going to be an awesome time of fellowship and hanging out. So I hope you'll come eat with us, hang out with us, um, enjoy that time with us. Uh, and uh, it's going to be just a really, really, really cool time. If you're ever going to invite somebody to church, man, I hope you brought somebody this week. If you didn't, next Sunday, bring them. Um, just so excited about what God's put in our heart to do that day, to present the gospel in a clear way um, that, that people could come to know Christ and their hearts literally be changed and we could see them go from death to life in Jesus. And so... Um, if you're going to invite somebody, man, bring them, get them here. Um, today, after the service, we're going to just head straight out of here, go straight over to Mill Creek. Right, right when you go in the main entrance, you'll see everything set up over to your left. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I would like to thank a couple of people right now. Um, I don't even think they're here. They're, they're probably still cooking, but if you see them and you know them, thank them. Um, but Don Baldwin and Joe Carnes uh, worked really hard on this. Bruce Sean also helped getting grills and things together. Um, Olivia Sanhagen, our babies through uh, kindergarten coordinator, and uh, Stephanie Shirley, our first through fifth grade coordinator. Man, absolutely incredible uh, that the things that they've done. We started this whole uh, superhero uh, series that's actually going through the whole church. So if you see some adults running around in costumes, it's okay. Everybody in our children's area has background checks. It's, it's good. They're all right. They're, they're not cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, but it's just part of what we're doing. And so we are going to jump into this superhero um, series today. I'm excited about it because of, of all the things that superheroes do. And as I was praying about this and, and God had put this on my heart a while back, I was thinking about how Jesus is the ultimate superhero. So for the next couple, three, four weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus as a superhero and what Jesus did for us um, that we really truly could not do for ourselves and how he stepped in for us. Today, we're going to be talking about this superheroes rescue people. Man, I'm pumped. I'm excited. My prayer is that God touches your heart today, challenges you to take your next steps, draws you closer to him, and that we would go out of here like crazy wild people spreading the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have today to um, come to know you, Lord. We, we can come to worship you, Lord, that we can boldly um, come before your throne of grace. My prayer, God, right now is that you would give us um, eyes to see you, Lord, by faith, that you would give us hearts, Lord, open our hearts, that we can receive your message, that we would draw near to you as you draw near to us, God, and we would uh, just, just literally leave this place um, filled with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we can share your love and your grace and this message of hope that comes through Jesus. Lord, we love you. Thank you for every person whose rear end is in a seat right now, God, that you would do an awesome work in their lives. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
Thursday night, had an awesome opportunity to go and hear a man speak uh, at, at a, um, it was a fundraiser for a ministry that ministers to um, handicapped children. And, and his name was Harold Wadsden. Anybody, anybody heard of Harold Wadsden? Anybody heard of SEAL Team 6? Yeah, like the most elite fighting force in the world. And I got to go hear this guy speak and it was incredible. But I, did, I, was like, I seriously did not want to get too close to it. Because I thought, like, what if and just, he just, like, went, like, and I was out. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just took me out. I felt like he had Jedi powers or something. He'd just be like that, and i just, you know. Because this dude, he was, like, the number one sniper for SEAL teams. Like, this dude was bad. And we sat there, and we listened to his story and his testimony about how he came to know Christ. And, and he really encouraged us to take steps of faith, to step out as Christians. But one of the things that amazed me the most about his testimony was when he started talking about some of the folks they had rescued. Like, this one young man who had, um, he, he had lost his leg, and every night he would hear this young man, like, just moaning on the front porch of this house. And, and after a couple of days, like, they were telling him he couldn't go down there, he couldn't go down there, it was dangerous or whatever. He finally was just like, I'm going anyway. And he goes and gets him, and they rescued this young man. He was actually one of the people who went in um, when uh, Black Hawk Down went down. He was one of the people that went in to rescue those folks. That's pretty awesome. Like to go in and rescue somebody. And then I mean, it's like the movies made after that whole event, you know that. But, but it's really cool to stand here and listen to this guy tell stories about being rescued. I thought about some other incredible rescues. Anybody remember the Chilean rescue of the miners? Yeah, down in Chile. Like where did Chile come from? It's Chile, right? I mean, like in the, it's Chile. They were, I'd watch the news and they're like, in Chile? I'm like, where is that? My dad's like, it's Chile. I'm like, oh, Chile. And so you watch, we watched these miners be rescued. I mean, it, it was an absolutely incredible thing as we watched them coming up out of the ground, literally, um, li- literally going like from, from death to life, right? I mean, what an awesome thing to witness and to watch the rescue of these miners. And now I want to see how, how old our congregation is here today, our, our, little, our, our gathering of folks here. How many of you remember uh, baby Jessica? Anybody remember? Yeah, y'all are old. Yeah, I am too, because I remember it too. Remember, it was Jessica McClure, I think was her name, it was 1987, right? Big hair, parachute pants. Y'all know what I'm talking about, rat tails. It's awesome. Had one of those. Um, but anyway, we remember baby Jessica fell in a well. A few days off, fell in a well. And they literally had to rescue her out of that well. And, and, and rescue her and save her. And, and these are some incredible rescues that we've been able to see and we've been able to witness. I mean, we got television. We can sit there glued to our TVs watching these incredible rescues. This week, um, I was going back through scripture and I was reading through uh, some scriptures. I came across this in the book of Mark in chapter five. I want to read this rescue to you. Absolutely incredible rescue that took place in the book of Mark. It begins in in chapter five in verse 24. And let me set this up for you. Jesus is going around being Jesus. Like that's pretty tall task, right? He's being Jesus and people come up to him. And and this one guy named Jairus comes up and he's like, Jesus, listen, my daughter's sick. She's dying, man. I need, can you come, please come heal her. He's like, sure. So he goes and he begins to walk to this man's house. The account that I want to read to you and the rescue I want us to see is actually a miracle that takes place as Jesus is on the way to go heal this man's daughter. And this is such an incredible story. And I think the thing you're going to find as we look at this, as we talk about this, is that we have more in common with this lady that we're about to read about 
than what you probably realize. So let's read it. Mark chapter 5, verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around. And so all these people are following. It's like, you know, there's, there's tons of folks that are just crowding around him. And it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And I read back through this and I started realizing like how much we have in common with this lady. This lady was in a bad situation. She had been bleeding for 12 years. And according to Jewish law, when you were having that, that monthly um, time, that, that, that bleeding time, you were unclean. Women, you could not touch anybody. Nobody could touch you. Everything you touched became unclean. So you were literally separated from the world. What this lady's going through, she was going through that for 12 years. We need to understand here, one thing about this, it wasn't just that she was sick. She was separated from society. And according to Jewish law, according to um, their religious, she was separated from God. She couldn't go into the temple to worship. She was literally an outcast to everybody because she had this illness, this infirmity in her body. She could not be touched. She could not touch. She could not um, have a, a life of worship. She couldn't go into the presence of God. None of those things could take place because of this illness that she had. And I started thinking about this, and I want to just set up about four things for you today that, that show us how much we have in common with this lady. And I want us to see some things that are all common in every rescue. And I want you to see the rescue that Jesus did for us when he came and lived and he died on a cross for you and for me. The first one I want you to understand is that every rescue and that what this woman was going through and the thing that we have to see is that she was helpless. In every rescue, someone is helpless. You think about the miners in, in Chile, right? Helpless. Jessica McClure, helpless. Black Hawk Down, helpless. I want to give you a quick definition of what I believe it is to be helpless. It's when we cannot alter our current situation or fate. We cannot alter our current situation or fate. I would say that she was helpless. What do we call people who rescue helpless people? Heroes, like superheroes, heroes. And I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I'm somewhat of a hero myself. <laughs> haven't got a cape yet, haven't saved any minors, haven't saved any babies, little boys or little girls. I say beagles. Beagles. How many dog lovers do we have in here? Dog lovers? Okay, okay, good, good, good. Put your hands down. Put your hands down. Cat lovers. 
We're going to pray right now for all the cat lovers. Because I'm convinced of this. I don't have a scripture for it yet, but I'm looking for one. Cats were created so that dogs would have something to chase. I'm pretty sure that cats were created so that dogs would have something to do. I, I, I'm a dog lover, man. I love dogs. Always love dogs. Only thing like you can yell at and it comes to you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like love dogs. They're awesome. And, and also my family, you've heard this before if you've been here for a while, love hunting. We love to hunt. We love to be out in the woods. We love to do this. And I love doing that with my dad and my, my sons. Just an awesome thing. So you take the two and it's like heaven. It's like, oh, you know what I'm saying? So you've got hunting dogs. Awesome. So we got these little beagles, man. My, my son wanted some beagles. They quickly became my beagles because he won't feed them or water them. So they're mine. And, and here's the only problem with our little, our little beagles. They've got this little like armadillo fetish thing going on. Like they, they're supposed to hunt rabbits or deer. They like armadillos. Like why? But every now and then we'll let them out. And, 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 and you hear them and you're like, you think they're chasing like a rabbit or a deer or something like that? Armadillo. And the most aggravating thing about it is that they end up in this hole. Armadillos run in holes and they go in these holes. Usually I can go over there and like I'll see them and they just got their head in there and they're like going crazy, man. It's like they're just out of their mind. And so I reach in, grab them, pull them out, you know, walk them back to the truck or whatever. And then listen, one day though, I hear them and they're chasing something. And I'm thinking, man, they're, it's a deer, it's a, it's, a, it's a rabbit, whatever. And then all of a sudden they, they disappear. I don't hear them. So we're looking around, looking around. Finally, I can hear like this muffled bark. I would do it, but I don't do it very well. Um, this muffled bark. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so I go over and I'm walking through the woods. And finally we get right where the noise is coming from, but there's no dogs. And we look and they're up under the dirt. This time they had gone in a hole, but they had gone in there like 15, 20 feet up in this hole. I'm like, I ain't going in there. I hate it, but I am not going up in there. Like rattlesnakes in there, bobcats in there, polar bears. I don't know what's in there. There's all kind of stuff in there. And, and in my mind, I'm running. And so I get down and it's getting dark. And so I got a flashlight. I'm shining it up in the hole. I'm like, come here, boy. Come here, boy. Nope, nope. Don't, they don't respond. Pretty soon they quit barking. Still up in the hole. I'm like, that ain't good. But I could hear them breathing a little bit. Like you could literally get down there and like hear them. And this whole, this whole mound was hollow. And I could hear them breathing. It's kind of, I'm not going to do that. I don't do that well either. But they're, they're under, and we could barely hear them. Then the breathing stopped. And I'm like, uh-oh, the dog's in. And I had a, one of my buddies comes out there, and he's like, we'll get them out. And, and then I, I can't get them out. And so I call Susan. She brings us a shovel and some post hole diggers. I'm like, we're going to dig them out. The only problem was where they were, there was all kind of roots and limbs and briars and all this stuff. And so I go in and, and I start trying to dig them out. I'm digging holes all over the place, trying to find them. Finally, we kind of figure out the place that we think they are. So I start digging. I'm digging this hole and I mean, I'm pouring sweat. I'm bleeding from briars, cutting me. I mean, just, it was crazy. And I'm thinking they're dead. My buddy was like, man, we ought to just come back tomorrow and, and try to get them. It's dark. We can't see anything. We don't know what's in this hole. We don't know what's down there. And, 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 and I was like, man, I don't know. And I just thought about those dogs being in that hole. I'm like, I can't leave. I can't leave. I could not go home and go to bed. This is like New Year's Eve. Had a big party going. No, I'm just, we didn't have a party planned, but I was like, I, I, I can't leave them knowing that they're in this. And so I, I finally um, start digging and I kind of figured out where they were and I'm digging, 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 digging. And finally I break through to like this hollow place. 
I'm like, maybe we're getting close. And so I set the post hole diggers down and I get down on my hands and knees and I'm actually scraping out the dirt, trying to find an opening where they might be. And right when I'm sticking my hand in there, like, I don't know what's in the hole, right? I'm sticking my hand in there and I reach in and I scrape back some dirt and a rattlesnake comes out, latches on him. I'm just kidding. The rattlesnake didn't come out. <laughs> but I'm digging the dirt out. And, and when I pull it back, something jumps out of the hole at me. I'm like, ah, and we all literally, Susan, the boys, my buddy, Brian, we're all like running back to the truck. And then we come back and we, everybody like sticks their head back over in the hole. It was one of the dogs. I'm like, Oh good. And so I reached down in there and I'm trying to pull him out and he's stuck. And literally what happened is he like caved in around him. And so I reached down and I grab his collar and I finally pull him out and get him out. But I don't know where the other one was. There were two of them in there. And so I'm looking and finally I hear something in there and I'm like, I ain't sticking my hand in there. I'm sorry. And so finally I can look and I can see his tail wagging. And so I grabbed his tail and started trying to pull him out. He didn't like that a whole lot. I think he liked being in the hole better than he liked me pulling his tail. And so I'm trying to pull him out. And, and then finally he gets turned around and I grab his collar again and I throw him out on the ground. And, and you know, they're all happy. And then they tried to go back in the hole. It's like, what are you doing? And so we get them and we take them back. It's like 8 30, 9 o'clock at night on New Year's Eve. I'm exhausted. Like Susan's like, you want to go to so I'm no. I want to go home. But anyway, listen, man, when I was there and those dogs were trapped in that hole, they were completely helpless, right? There was nothing they could do. And, 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 and I, it was up to me. If, if I didn't get them out, they were done. If I had left and, and decided I'd come back the next day, they were done. And I was thinking about this lady's condition. I was thinking about the fact that people who need to be rescued are helpless. And I was thinking about, oh, my gosh, that is a perfect picture of you and I. And what God's done for us. You see that? Like we were buried under our sin. We were buried in our death that was caused by sin. And God came, dug us out, literally took us up out of it and said, I'm going to take you with me to where I am. Isn't that awesome? I, I, when I was thinking about those dolls, I was thinking about how I could not leave them. These are dogs, Right? I couldn't leave them. And I thought about how God must have looked at us. I was like, I can't leave them. I know they screw up. I know they make mistakes. But I've already promised in my word I'd never leave them or forsake them. I can't leave them. They're helpless. If I don't save them, they are done. Because you and I have no way of altering our own fate. But God, in his infinite mercy, in his grace, in his love, he comes to us and takes us up out of our sin and makes a way for us to come to him. He makes a way for us to have life when otherwise we could not have it. That incredible. That when we were dead, we were covered under our sin. God made a way for us. Someone who is helpless is unable to alter their fate or their circumstances. I want you to understand you and I are ultimately unable to alter our fate. This is what I know just from a lot of experience and wisdom. So far, 10 out of 10 people die, right? Takes a lot of wisdom to come up with that. 
The other day, I came into the office, had a Diet Coke. I was going to drink it later, so I was like, I'm going to stick it in my refrigerator. I hadn't used the refrigerator in quite a while. I got one of those little refrigerators in my office. I'm like, I'll stick it in here and drink it later, keep it nice and cold. I opened up the refrigerator. Had a gallon of milk from December 19th. It was awesome. It was a little chunky, but it was awesome. I had some milk and cookies. It was so good. December 19th. I didn't even know if I should drink the Coke. Like it was in a can. I was like, I don't even, there's probably some, something that will kill me that literally will grow through aluminum because it's been in there since December 19th. You know what I realized? It's like there's an expiration date on those things for a reason. The other thing I thought about is you and I both have an expiration date too. Everybody in this room. That there's going to be a day because we can't, we can't alter our fate. We can't change it. There's going to be a day that we go on, that we spend eternity in the rest of the world, in, 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 in the next world, in, in eternity. The thing I want to help you see today, and I want to do this through Luke chapter 12. You can turn there real quick or you can just listen. We'll put it on the screen. But Luke chapter 12, I want to read a couple of verses to you out of, out of that um, chapter. It's very common scripture. People go to it uh, when they're wor- in worry, when they're fearful. In verse 22 in Luke chapter 12, this is what it says. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by, listen, by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? As I was reading that this week, I'd always looked at those scriptures as being about worry. We go to those scriptures and we're like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And then I realized like we're focusing on the wrong thing. The thing that it says in here is you can't do anything about your circumstances anyway. You can't do anything about your ultimate fate anyway. But God can't. And I began to realize that these verses, these scriptures are more about God's sovereignty than about us not worrying. It's more about God holding us in his hands. And then Jesus goes on and describes the type of God that has us. The one who cares for the flowers of the field. The one that cares for the sparrows. The one that takes care of them. And he says, listen, if I take care of them, won't I take care of you? But he says, you can't even worry. Anybody ever wanted to be taller? Like, always want to be taller. I always want to be like 6'2", right? Yeah. Like little man syndrome. And when you're short, you know how tall you are like to the quarter inch. If you're tall, you're like, I'm not a 6'3", 6'4", I don't know. I mean, I'm like 5'10 and 1 8th. <laughs> I always wanted to be taller. But you know what? I never could sit in my room and be like, I'm going to be taller. I'm going to be taller. I'm going to be taller and grow an inch. I couldn't do it. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't, you can't make yourself grow. Listen, there's not one person in here who has the ability to make yourself tall. There's not one person in here, and judging by looking around the room, who can make hair grow on your head, right? You can't do it. Not one person in here can add a single hour to his life. We don't even know the number of our days. I would tell you this, control and thinking we can control our own fate, we can work our, out our own um, issues that we can do, our own thing, and control where we end up. Control is the greatest illusion in the world. God is the only one who is in control. 
And I can tell you this, the only peace we'll ever have is when we come to terms with the fact that a God who is completely sovereign, who is completely loving, who is completely good, is the one who is in control. And he is the one who came to the helpless, who came to us and gave us this ability. Listen, when this woman is walking and, and, and trying to get to Jesus, she was unclean. It means every person that she touched would become unclean. When she walks up and she finally pushes her way through the crowd, think about all the people she touched. That's why she is freaking out, man. She's helpless, but she's like, I got to get to him because I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he's the one that can change my life. I believe he's the one that can make me whole, that can make me well. And she's pushing her way through, trying to get to Jesus, just trying to get to him. And then she touches him, which would ultimately have made him unclean, make him where he can't be around people. It would ultimately make him unqualified to go into the presence of God. But the good news for us today is that Jesus is bigger than our uncleanness. That Jesus is bigger than our helplessness. And so she touches Jesus. He should become unclean, but instead he makes her whole. And here's the awesome thing you got to realize about this God who is completely sovereign. who's come to us to help us in our helplessness. It says that when Jesus felt her touch him, he knew power went out. And in verse 32, it says, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. It goes down to verse 34 when he finally realizes who it was. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. This is such an intense moment. We read the Bible and sometimes we miss the intensity. But this woman was in a desperate situation. She touched the Messiah and would have made him unclean. And yet Jesus is looking. And what's amazing in this huge crowd, he kept looking for this person that touched him. And he's looking around. And the crazy thing, and I think the thing that we've got to get through our mind and ultimately has to sink into our heart is this. Listen to me. When he found her, he didn't condemn her. He set her free and said, go in peace. How cool that he finally, he locks eyes. He finds someone who who had, had touched him and he says, listen to me, honey, listen. Your faith has made you well. Your trust in me has made you well. He didn't look at her and was like, you stupid woman. Don't you know that how dirty you are? Don't you know how filthy you are? Don't you know for 12 years you've been unclean and you think you can come to me? No, he looked at her and he said, woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace and walk in freedom. It's an awesome God who did that for us, who, who came to us in our helplessness and has set us free from our sin. Second thing I want you to hear about this woman is that she was lost. Absolutely lost. Not just her hope, but everything was lost. Y'all ever been really lost? Anybody been really lost? Anybody? Yeah, some of y'all got bad senses of direction, right? Yeah. Well, probably the most lost I've ever been when I was in middle school, had a football game in Athens. Georgia, I, was in, I played for Georgia, University of Georgia when I was in, I didn't. But we were up there playing Clark Central in a, in a, in a middle school game. And uh, my mother, who has been graced and blessed with many wonderful attributes, but not a good sense of direction, took us up there. And on the way home, we got a little lost. We made it home. We made it from Athens to Statesboro. Um, and, and so we did get home. It just took us seven hours. Seven hours from Athens to Statesboro. And this was like in the late 80s. And we didn't have cell phones then, right? We didn't even have a little bag phone. 
she carried around. We had nothing. And, and we were riding through all these back roads, had no idea where we were. Had two of my buddies with me. These are middle schoolers. Now, one of them's crying in the back seat, <laughs> wanting his mama. He's like, I want my mama. And so we told him, we we're like, we're going to pull over at this gas station. You get out and go ask directions. He got out. We left him. He didn't do that either, but it would have been awesome. And so he, he's, he, he's crying, wanting his mama. My other buddy's back there. He's like, I ain't ever going nowhere with y'all again. Yeah, I'm typical middle schooler. I'm like, mama, you know, we're, it's horrible. And we're riding in, and finally we, we see a time saver, and we, we go in, and they're like, I don't know how to tell you to get there. You know, we, we're like, give us direction. We get lost again. And that, back in these backwoods where we were, man, like they, the time savers didn't take credit cards. We were out of cash. So we're literally digging through the seats, trying to find some change to be able to pay for gas to get us home. And we were lost really lost seven hours from Athens to Statesboro. Insane. We finally made it, but we were lost. And when you're lost, listen, I want you to understand this. When you're lost, it means you have no idea how to get to your desired destination. You have no idea how to get to your desired destination. And listen, when you're really lost, you don't even have the means to get there when you're really lost, right? You don't know how to get there. And if you did know how to, you still, we didn't even have gas money. We were really lost. I was thinking about this lady, man. She had done everything she could do. She had nothing left. It says that she had spent everything she had, all of her effort, her best intentions could do nothing for her. She spent every dime, every dollar that she had. And the Bible says that she got worse. There's probably a lot of people in this room like that. You tried everything you could try. Even Christians, sometimes we're like, I'll just suck it up and do it. And instead of getting better, you get worse. And that's exactly where this woman was. I'd say she was lost. And the other thing I'd tell you is this. I believe that you and I are also lost. But I want to show you from Scripture just how lost we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can look at this on the screen. In verse 9, it says this, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. Let's, 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 stop, let's stop right there. Because right now, like, you're reading this, and, and there's a lot of people in here like, well, I'm okay. I'm not really wicked. Some of that, yeah, I ain't done many of those things. I'm, I'm pretty good on that. But listen, let's keep reading. Verse 10 says, nor thieves, nor the greedy, uh uh-oh, nor drunkards, oops, nor slanderers, like folks who talk bad about other people, ooh, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There's a lot of other scriptures where Paul wrote similar things that show us like the gossips, that, that, that greedy people, listen, they do not inherit the kingdom of God. Can we agree on one thing today? That regardless of what you've done or who you've done it with, we're all lost. Can we agree that Romans 3.23 is true, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? That everybody in this place is lost and needs to be rescued because we've all screwed up in some way or another? That our sin has separated us from God. 
and that we are facing eternity apart from him unless he steps in and does something absolutely incredible. And I believe this, I believe that we have to come to terms before God can do anything in our life. We have to come to terms with the fact that we are lost and in need of rescue. I was thinking about this, like, because the Bible says that we're all wicked. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And I was thinking about like, how good's good enough, right? If you knew how good you had to be, wouldn't you just try to be that good? Like when I was in, in school, I knew that, that I had to make bees and I always shot for bees. I wanted to make bees because as long as I made bees, I got to play baseball. Like I didn't have any higher aspiration. I was like, I just want to play baseball. So I had to make bees. I knew if I fell below a B and made a C, I couldn't play baseball. I had to make bees. So I shot for bees. I, I, I wanted, I'm like, if I can make a B, I can play ball. Wouldn't we do the same kind of thing? Like if we knew, like if I'm this good, then, then I'll be okay with God and I'll get in. I'll be all right. So where's the standard? Like how good do we have to be? How good's good enough? I mean, like, listen, if your heart is 95% good and mine's 95.5% good, who gets in? If I'm 81% good and you're 80% good, who gets in? Where's the standard? How good do you have to be to not be lost? See, here's the reality, guys. God is perfect. God is holy. He, he, there's no fault in him. And the standard is perfection. Even when we look at Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 48, he says this. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How are we doing on that? Anybody accomplished that yet? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. No, because we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the mark that God has set. The standard is perfection. None of us meet it. And we are just as lost as this woman who had been separated because of her uncleanness. We are just as separated from God and in need of rescue as this lady in Mark chapter five. We've got to get to a place where we recognize our lostness, that we recognize that Jesus has come to save us from our losses, that we were helpless. We couldn't do anything to alter our fate. Jesus came to us. God came to us, that we were lost. We couldn't do anything to get to the place we wanted to be because this is the deal, guys. Most people believe in heaven and most people would say, I want to be there. Statistically, like literally in the United States, most people believe in an afterlife and most people say, yeah, I'd like to be there. Problem is, man, we're lost. We have no way of getting there. But God stepped in to rescue us. The third thing that we have in common with this lady is that, that she re- recognized the fact she literally needed to be rescued. She needed a rest. She needed a hero to step in. You and I do also. This entire uh, series comes out of a scripture in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter one, this is where God dropped this in my heart. One day in my own quiet time, I'm reading. And and in Galatians one, verse three, it says, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. She needed to be rescued. Jesus was there. We need to understand she came to Jesus. Yes, but the only way she came to Jesus was because Jesus first had come to us. Otherwise, she could have never got there. Jesus came to you and I. I want you to understand a couple of things about a rescue. The first one is this. In order for, for somebody to res- be rescued, someone has to be put out so somebody else can be put in. 
right? Somebody has to step in the place of danger, of harm's way. They have to put them, the, the other person ahead of themselves so that the other person can, can, can be saved. I thought about this when uh, a couple of years ago, me and Braves fans, got some Braves fans up in, in the house. Yes, Braves start this week. I'm pumped. Um, I have a meeting for existence on um, Braves play. Um, so it's awesome, man. Love the Braves, love baseball. A couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to go see Chipper Jones out here at Georgia Southern. He came down for a fundraiser for Georgia Southern baseball. Absolutely awesome. He's like one of my all-time favorite baseball players. So I'm going to take this opportunity. actually got invited by a guy with more money than me because he bought a table. And he's like, I want you to sit at my table. I was like, I will be glad to do that. He's like, and bring your son. I was like, I will. And so we go and, and I'm sitting there and literally I'm sitting there like looking up Chipper Jones' nose. That's how close I was. I was that close to Chipper Jones. And I'm looking at Chipper Jones. There was only one problem. They invited too many people to sit at our table. And so this guy, he's, he's without a table and, and he's like, you know, um, I guess somebody's gonna have to move to another seat, and you know, and uh, and, and and so I didn't, and because um, I was like, I, I'm I'm sitting here this close to Chipper Jones, I'm going to be this close, and so everybody was like, well, you know, the last will be first, and I was like, I guess you got something to look forward to, because I'm sitting here tonight. And so it was like, and so I was not giving up my position so they can move into a better position, right? But I want to show you, this is so funny. This year, instead of getting invited to the thing, I bought three tickets, one for me and my two oldest boys. Guess where I sat? In the very back. Like I was in the exact opposite table than I was a year before. It's like, how funny is that that the Bible's actually true? Wow. And so I went from first to last, like really quick. The only way I could have been further from them this year was like if they put me in another room. That's the only way I could have got, because I was exactly the, the opposite position that I was before. But I was unwilling to give up my place so that somebody else could have a better seat. I, 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 I told you 10 out of 10 people are selfish. I was selfish. But here's the awesome thing about Jesus. Jesus was willing to be put out so you and I could be put in. He was literally put out of heaven. He left heaven and came to earth to live a perfect life that you and I could not live so that we could go back to where he came from, that we could have his perfection simply by trusting in what Jesus did for us. He came and rescued us, saved us. The other thing I want you to understand about being rescued is that rescue always costs something. It always costs something. I went back and did a little research on the Chilean um, minor rescue. I just got where I like to say that word now. But the Chilean rescue, minor rescue. And I saw where it cost between 10 and $20 million to rescue those miners. Isn't that crazy? 10 to 20. You know what I could do with $20 million? Like we wouldn't be meeting in a high school next year for one. Two, our campus in the Caribbean would be awesome probably be our main campus sorry it'd be awesome but 20 million dollars and I saw this quote where the the Chilean president was interviewed and he was like yeah it costs a lot but I feel like every peso was spent well the first thought that went through my head was is that even a consideration 
33 miners who would have died were saved. That their, their lives were preserved. They were in a hole for 69 days. Can you imagine walking up to the edge of that hole, looking down and being like, hey guys, we're going to get you out in a minute. We're just trying to figure out how to save some money. Doesn't even make sense. Why? Because human life is precious. And there's, there's, it's like, no, we'll do whatever it costs to get them out. We'll spare no expense. The thing I want you to understand, guys, listen, is that God spared no expense when it came to stepping in and rescuing you. God himself was willing to become unclean so that you could become clean. Jesus came and lived this life. He walked this earth in perfection because we couldn't. And then he died on a cross so that you and I could attain the perfection of God just by trusting in him, by saying, yes, I know that I am, I've fallen short. I am helpless. I can't alter my faith. I'm lost. I can't do anything to get to my destination. I've got no means to get there. And yet God himself made a way for us to come to him. Is it not amazing that the hands that could have, have choked the life out of us instead came to us to give us life. They were literally pierced to give us life. Isn't it not amazing that that the feet that could have stomped all over us, that those feet were nailed to a cross so that you and I could have life. It's not incredible that the mouth that could have spoke condemnation, that could have literally condemned this woman, instead of speaking condemnation, he spoke life, he spoke peace, he spoke forgiveness. It wasn't a voice of condemnation, it was a voice of salvation. That that's the God that we have who literally stepped in to our place. He substituted himself for us. And now by faith, we can come to God. We can know God because he stepped in for us. And that's incredible that God would do that for us. The last thing I want to tell you is this, that she was rescued because of grace. She was rescued because of grace. Don't you understand the definition of grace is unmerited favor. It's God's unmerited favor. It's the love of God that you cannot earn, you cannot deserve, you can't do enough to get it. It's simply saying, God, I recognize I need you in my life and I need your grace and your forgiveness. I cannot earn it on my own. This woman did nothing to earn freedom. She did nothing to earn her, 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 not only her um, cleansing from this sickness, this infirmity, but also her salvation. She simply received it from God. Here's the thing, and here's a lie that many of us have bought into, that there is a certain amount of good things that we can do to make ourselves pleasing to God, and it's not true. The Bible's very clear that the only way we're able to please God is by faith and trusting in his son who lived a perfect life that we could not live so that you and I could come to know him. It's by grace. It's freely given. I was thinking about our children. You know, it's so funny. So many times when we try to describe the love of God, we come to this place where we, we use our children as an illustration. Why? Because we love them. I mean, it's just, it's just unconditional. I mean, very few times could, could anyone's kids, I've told my kids this multiple times, you can never do anything to make me stop loving you. And so we use that as an illustration. But the other thing I think we ought to realize is that they didn't do anything to cause us to love them. I mean, what did they do? They were born. I'm like, if you've had a baby, you know, all they do is like pee, puke, and poop. I mean, it's the three P's all the time. And it's usually on you. That's all they do. The other night, Susan was changing Reed's diaper. And we like to give him a little freedom here and there, you know. 
Want him bound up all the time? You know, having to run around in a diaper? So we're letting him run around. He's running around. He's like, ah, he's like free, free at last. You know, he's running around. All of a sudden, it's like old faithful. And I looked at Susan, I'm like, did he just TT? Because that's what you had to, you know, did he just TT? Yeah, on my leg. I was like, well, thank God it wasn't on the carpet. <laughs> but it's just like, they, they don't do anything to earn our love. We just love them. They can't earn it. If anything, they work really hard to make us not love them. But we love them anyway. And we need to realize that that's what God did with us. We work really hard to make him not love us. And yet he loves us no matter what. That is hard to fathom. It's unfair even to think about that God who was perfect, who had no sin, became sin so that we would have no sin. That we would be given the righteousness of God, a righteousness we could not earn, a righteousness that was only given because of God's love that he has given to us. And I don't know how to say it any more than this other than the love of God is here right now for you. All you got to do is say, yes, I need what God and God alone can do for me. God came to our rescue when we were helpless, when we were lost. Even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the greatest proof of God's love for us. Things happen in the world all the time that we wonder, how could God love me if this happened? I would say this, look at the cross. You ever doubt God's love for you? You look at the cross. Because that is a perfect picture of what God went through, what God desired, what God would do for us to come to know him. God's love, his grace, his mercy changes hearts. It changes lives. Let's pray.